Welcome to D.A.R.E., the show for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders who dare to shape the future. Your hosts today are Ned Hayes and Cecilia Mariani. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaf, the superpower tech team that can make your vision a reality. The D.A.R.E. podcast is overjoyed to welcome Siva Narendra to the show today. Siva is the co-founder and CEO of Typhoon. He's led the creation of world-changing digital banking platforms. He holds over 140 patents in digital banking, commerce, and blockchain. He's founded multiple companies, and through his work with banks and credit unions, he's really helped to create the world of open payment systems and digital identity that we know today. So welcome, Siva. Ned and Cecilia, thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited to talk to fellow software geeks. Welcome to the show, Siva. Could you tell us about Typhoon? Give us a pitch for the company. Yeah, so Typhoon's purpose is really to bridge a gap that exists. This is specific to the U.S. market, but uh, it probably has similar uh, thesis elsewhere in the world. So we focus on the U.S. market where uh, even before the pandemic, majority of households would, would have preferred to have their money at a local community bank or credit union, but majority of them picked big banks, largely because of one only reason, digital, digital convenience. So this gap between wanting versus doing has only gotten bigger going through the pandemic because communities have become even more important and digital has become even more important. So this gap, filling this gap is our purpose. And you know, this, this inclusive approach is not just a, a trend, uh, it is also substantiated with numbers. So it's an it's a impactful approach, uh, but it also is a commercially viable approach for the following reason. 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And wow. at the same time, majority of us have our money with big banks. I mean, big banks have a purpose, don't get me wrong. The convenience of digital has been the sort of handcuff, if you will, to leave money with big banks. And over the last 10 years, uh, US households have given up $600 billion in interest income. So our purpose is really to enable that money to move to community institutions that, that not only focus on shareholder value, but also focus on customer value. Right. So that's, that's our purpose. We build digital tools so community institutions are no longer disadvantaged when it comes to digital compared to the big boys. Great. Thank you. Uh, so what's wrong with banking as we have it today? What's broken that needs to be fixed? Okay. So what's broken is really, rather than saying what's broken, I would rather look at what progress can be made. Right. Uh, when it comes to financial services, you know, the, I like to draw parallels with telephony, right? Especially in a mature market like the U.S., 15 years ago, we really didn't need mobile phones because landline infrastructure in the U.S. is world class. So you order a phone and you get a phone number in your house within a few hours, right? In the rest of the world, in some parts of the world, you order a phone line, it might take you a decade to get a phone. Right? So we really didn't think we needed mobile phones because why would we? 
but mobile phones have fundamentally changed everything, right? Mobile phones are not landlines corded becoming cordless phones becoming mobile. Mobile and cordless phones are just completely different application space. Now, the only reason I'm giving this example is banking getting better in the digital world is sort of seen as, oh, let's make a corded phone a cordless phone. What we really want to focus on is let's bring fundamental change to the market. And by the way, we're not the only ones doing it. Uh, it's, it's all about uh, open banking. Data is owned by the consumer. Payments shouldn't really cost money. Payments today cost money because there is fraud and fraud needs to be monetized. And so that's really what we are looking to change. I wouldn't call something is broken. I would rather say something can be much, much better. Right, uh -huh. cordless phones weren't broken; they worked just fine. Uh, but mobile phones just brought things that didn't. Exist. So that's what uh, companies like Typhoon are bringing to the marketplace. Just something very well, different. Well, well, when you talk about creating something much, much better, would you say that your lead product, Infinia, is that much better kind of digital banking experience? I would say. The infinite banking experience is sort of the cover of the book. Uh -huh. uh, the what's underneath it, you know, we sometimes do judge the book by its cover. So you need to have the cover to be um, functional and and be eye catching. So the digital banking experience is fundamentally about how we bring convenient user experiences, but then we build engines underneath it that are fundamentally changing how this machinery works. And I'll give an example. Combine the two, the experience is much, much better. So we recently launched a real-time payment solution called FedNow uh, that the Federal Reserve built. Uh, they've been working on it for a couple of years. We've been um, involved in that process from day one. We were the first transaction. It's akin to what's happening in Brazil called PIX what's happening in India called UPI, but it's a bit more standards-based that was launched. Now, what does that mean? Why is that fundamentally changed the experience? Fundamentally changes the experience because money moves instantly. It's not pretend money movement like Zelle. Money really moves within a few seconds. And the rails that have been built are brand new rails. So we built that engine to connect to those rails. And then we built the user experience layer then allow for existing money movement methods. Majority will move money account to account using what is known as ACH, Automated Clearinghouse, a very successful payment solution that's typically a few hours or next business day. Right. So what we did is by combining Infinia user experience and what we call as our Infinia engine for real-time payments, we were able to automatically ask people hey, this particular bank you're sending money to, uh, we can send the money in five seconds. Would you like, like us to do it, right? Uh, so that's the combination of the underlying engine in concert with the user experience uh -huh. uh, that brings things that don't exist today, right? So in th and I'll make one point and then I'll stop. By combining these two, uh, the Infinia Digital Banking and our Payfinia engine, in three months' time, we were able to move 20% of a financial institution's ACH transactions to real-time FedNow transactions at 2.3x lower fraud, right? So that's what it, for us means making things better.
I know that's probably a long-winded answer, but uh, hopefully that elicited yeah. the point. Yeah. And can you dive a, a little deeper into the difference between real money moving and products like ACH and Cell? What is the difference between Cell and your product line? Okay. So there are various types of settlement networks that exist in the U.S. Uh -huh. uh, to give some examples, uh, you have cards, Visa, MasterCard, as an example. Uh, you have checks, you have Fedwire, and you have ACH. So let's leave Fedwire aside because we don't use Fedwire for retail purposes most of the time. It's only uh -huh. for really large transactions. If we look at Visa, MasterCard, it is real-time authorization, meaning it checks real-time do you have money or do you have credit limit. And then the transaction happens, but the money actually moves the next business day. Money is not, uh, the merchant doesn't get the money when you walk away with the goods. They get it the next business day, right? And, and, and the payment is called pull payment. You give your identity to the merchant, they pull money from your account. Same with checks, right? Checks pulls money from your account because you give them your identity with the check and then they pull money. Uh, mm -hmm. Check has no authorization at all, right? Because you don't know if the money is there. ACH is very similar. ACH is the electronic version of checks to simple, oversimplify it. It's not that, but for this discussion, we can assume that there are some nuances in the regulations and who takes the liability and so on. But leaving that aside, ACH is very similar. You give them your information and somebody can pull money. ACH also has the ability for you to send money to somebody else. It's both pull and push. All of these are the best case next business day. Hmm. Uh, right. So when you use Zelle, Zelle is just a alias to one of these methods. Uh -huh. Zelle is not a way to settle money. It's just a way to address Cecilia, right? I don't need to know your account number and routing number. I just need to know your email. They do the mapping to your account number and email. And they end up using one of these existing methods to actually move the money. Oh, if you take Venmo, Venmo moves money just between your private accounts. If you need to get into the bank account, you got to pay money to get into your bank account, right? Mm. That's where Fed now is fundamentally different. It's a brand new system mm -hmm. that not only does real-time authorization like Visa MasterCard, it does real-time settlement, meaning the money actually moves within a few seconds. And 24 7 365, um, like if you send a check on a weekend, uh, or on a Friday night, it probably is not even going to get processed until Monday morning. Right? Uh -huh. So that, those are the fundamental differences. And the, if I were to summarize it, two main differences, it's, there are others, push only, this, you can only send money, you cannot pull money. So it's just a lot more secure because the recipient gives the identity, not the sender. And the mm -hmm. second really important thing is there is no reconciliation. Uh, if you talk to a financial institution, when you send the money and then the money actually moves sometime later, you got to compare and contrast, make sure everything happens. That's a lot of resources that financial institutions need. And uh, right now there is no reconciliation. So it's just infinitely more productive. Okay, thank you very much for explaining that, Siva. So this is very helpful. So do your customer understand the value uh, you are offering a Typhoon? It is hard to explain the value to customers? You know, uh, that's a great question. It's not so difficult to explain the user experience layer. 
it's, it's like when somebody comes to buy a car, they see, or when you judge a book by its cover, it's a lot easier to judge a book by its cover than actually read the pages. And so somebody's got to spend that time and we like to educate the market. Like for example, in the case of Fed now, there's a lot of confusion in the market, right? It's brand new. It's only three months or four months old. So there's a lot of confusion. Oh, you know, it's like Zell, isn't it? So Zell money moves money instantly, got a lot of fraud. Isn't Fed now the same thing? It's exactly the opposite on all those spectrums. Uh, so that education is slowly happening. You know, we're working with our customers and the Federal Reserve to create educational sessions to educate the market. Uh, but your point is well taken. It's it's uh, there's a lot of misconception about whether the real-time payment is something that's real. Right, right. Well, and um, some of the larger banks, like Bank of America and Chase, et cetera, they have their own products. I mean, Zell came out of an industry consortium, right? So, so yeah. they have a vested interest in promoting their products. So are you, are you kind of providing a product that would be an alternative to the big banks? So I would sort of look at it this way. Uh, you know, Zelle uses actual payment rails to settle. Zelle is just a directory. I shouldn't say yes. just. Zelle is a directory, an important directory. The, yes, it's owned by the big banks. There are a few thousand institutions that use Zelle. FedNow uh, can be used by Zelle. FedNow just fundamentally solves settlement problems and it's real time, while Zelle is not real time. Big banks also created a real-time network called RTP, real-time payments. But real-time payments have some fundamental challenges from a cost perspective compared to FedNow. So the way we are looking at this is our customers, community banks and credit unions, need to provide frictionless money movement for their customers. Because if they do, they will have the same digital capability as big banks, which is part of our purpose. Our purpose is to build technologies for community banks and credit unions. Doesn't matter if you are a, a few tens of million in assets for closed charter credit union that serves pilots and flight attendants of an airline, which may be 2,000 users, or it could be a $12 billion credit union with 200,000 users. We want to have uh, the same technology provided to them as a trillion dollar asset financial institution like Bank of America might have. Right? Got it. So you're really adding value to the financial system there. And, and you've also developed some other products and you yourself have been instrumental in developing something called Purse, which is a digital purse system. So maybe we should back up. Maybe you could define what is a digital purse. Okay, so Digital Pulse is a company that was spun out of Typhoon. You know, it's just a, a different uh, name for a digital wallet. Mm -hmm. uh, so what Pulse does is, is a waiting for Fred now to be adopted universally. We wanted to bring a payment solution to the marketplace that is not expensive for local merchants, right? Today, local merchants that have few percentage points of margins paying half of that over to payment processing they don't have a choice they have to do it a first mission is to lower that cost and it, they they do that using existing settlement instruments by the federal reserve as well as augmented with fed now so you can go into a store and use first digital purse 
which is a, a technology of digital wallet that allows you to transact with the merchant by just scanning a QR code at the merchant. So the merchant provides their information for you to send them money. Uh -huh. So that's yeah. what uh, first does uh, in enabling payments that's more cost effective. So you've developed so many new innovative financial products. We've seen a lot of interest in, in blockchain in the past. So I am curious, do you see blockchain and distributed ledgers having positive impact on finance in the future? So yes and no, not as a coin. I'm not a, you know, I don't, I don't see cryptocurrency mixing very well with fiat currency. So creating a digital dollar is a hammer looking for a nail because it's a centralized currency. Why do you need a decentralized decision-making system? So I don't, I don't think digital currency in the way uh, Bitcoin is, is really a value to the ecosystem we serve because the ecosystem that we serve really relies on a fiat currency, right? right. Uh, I can't, uh, having said that, I think the distributed ledger, if implemented correctly, I'll qualify what if it's in just a minute. If implemented correctly, can have some positive impact in a high level abstraction. You know, we've made computation very democratized. You know, you can get any computational resource from a cloud provider, right? The next level of democratizing access is the data structure. Today, if you need somebody's data structure, you got to pay them a lot of money. Right. right? Uh, if data structures can be standardized, more value can move up the stack to applications. I mean, already applications carry a lot of value. I think if we can standardize the data structure, then it, there is potential opportunity for value to go even to the further to the application stack. That's how I personally see blockchain to be it, it standardizes data structures um uh if it, it done correctly uh, right, and right. Done, yeah. yeah so so this implies that maybe some people have not done it correctly because um crypto of course had had its moment in the sun and i think there's a downturn so any thoughts on on that crypto downturn and if crypto will come back in a new form or or a new kind of instantiation so to me, again, this is just my, my view of it in, in limited analysis. Part of the thing that went wrong in crypto, or for that matter, even in blockchain, the if implemented yeah. correctly part, you know, there are three kinds of data, right? You have information, identity transaction. Basically, this is me, this is how much money I have, that's always, right? Those three aspects of data should be decentralized uh -huh. in a uh, distributed ledger world. If it were done that way, I think we would have been very successful leveraging that underlying thesis of decentralizing everything. But uh -huh. unfortunately, what has happened is information got decentralized and transaction got decentralized and the wallet provider centralized the identity. So now you have worse of both worlds because centralized identity can be stolen and decentralized information nobody controls. Right. <laughs> uh, so so it, it sort of combined the worst of two kinds. Uh, everything is centralized, so you can do something about it. If everything is decentralized, you don't have to worry about it. 
But if you centralize the identity and decentralize the other two things, you sort of mix two things that shouldn't coexist. But unfortunately, that's what it is. So the ledger system has to fundamentally change. Somebody's got to start something from scratch to redo the entire thing for it to be successful. <laughs> wow, that's that's a great analysis. So I'm curious about your background in finance. How did you get into the field of finance and money? So uh, I wanted to be an artist. And <laughs> my siblings convinced me that I won't make money being an artist. Uh, but luckily, I liked math. So I ended up becoming an engineer. And when I was uh, uh, doing my uh, PhD thesis, uh, one of the requirements uh, was you had to do a minor in a different department. So you cannot do your minor in in your your core department. So I ended up doing a minor in the business school. And because I liked math, I naturally picked finance and modeling. I enjoyed that. Uh, that's what sort of led me just to think about finance, but never really entered the financial services space. After finishing my graduate school, I was, I was at Intel building energy efficient computing modules. But I really enjoyed the economic nature, the behavioral economics aspects, especially. Uh, so I had an opportunity to start Typhoon. It was really more a security company, but we needed an application for security and digital security, and we picked payments. And then that's now when I had a full head of hair and no gray hair, so 20, almost 20 years ago. So I just ended up learning along the way. So that's, wow. that's what kept me in finance. Well, that's amazing. Uh, you are also the co-founder of the Oregon Digital Safety Net. So what is that all about? So ORDSN, it's actually a brainchild of uh, my co-founder, uh, Carol Benson. Carol and I met when um, I was building sort of the original incarnation of mobile payments, where we did a pilot with Google Wallet and so on. And when Carol retired, Carol is a well-known payments expert in the, in the planet. When she retired, one of the things that uh, she wanted to solve is bring what she calls as the evergreen digital identity to the marginalized community. Like, you know, uh, there are homeless people that would like to have a, get a job, but when they apply for a job, if the store wants to give them that position, how do they call them? There's no phone number to call. There is no address. There is no email. So the idea of ORDSN, or Oregon Digital Safety Net, is to really provide digital identities without really tying to tethered devices because you can't really provide them a phone and expect the phone will be around. Right? Right. It's really to prov provide an evergreen set of digital identities that will, for those who want it, so whether they have the device with them or not, they can receive a phone call, they can get an email, they can get documents sent. So that's the thought process. It's in very early stages. Uh, Google has given us some seed money to go build out initial architecture. So that's the stage we're in right now. Wow, that's that's really impactful for for all sorts of people who need to need to have a transportable identity and need to be able to do financial transactions, but may not own a house, may not have a a solid um, grounding under them. But you're, you're you're giving them, as it says, uh, some sort of a safety net there. Thank you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. The the thought process is, you know, we all rely so much on digital tools. Uh -huh. um, I think it's, it's easier to bring that same level of access 
to those who are marginalized and trying to, I mean, housing is a major problem, right? But you can, we haven't figured out how to build houses for them. Um, so for the, for, for the addressability, at least in the digital domain, we can build capability. So a company applies for a job, really the, the job seeker will have the same level of access whether they live in a apartment or a mansion or want to look for a job and they need a house. Mm -hmm. That's great. So I really appreciate the, the breadth of, of ideas that, that you're bringing to the table here. And I, I find it interesting that all three of us on this show today are former Intel employees. Maybe we, we bring some of that interest that Intel has in, in spreading, spreading across the planet in lots of different domains. Uh, but since this show is about you, Siva, I'm curious if you could tell us any of your learnings from your time at Intel. Oh, Intel was a fabulous experience. I really enjoyed working at Intel. You know, when I joined, joined Folsom uh, in the ch uh, chipset group, I was in the rotation program, so rotated through different groups. The third group ended up being in Santa Clara. Uh, I want to say it was within uh, the first four months is when the Pentium bug happened. So it was very, I'm using the word, I'm going to use the word exciting, but I don't mean it that way. It was exciting to see nonetheless how a, I mean, it was, it was not a very big company, but it was big enough how that company reacted to really, we got all trained for call center calls. We took calls from people that wanted, a, wanted that chip replaced. It was, it was really a very dynamic environment when Andy Grove was running it. I learned a lot in sort of thinking through fundamental laws driving your business, right? Uh -huh. If, if your, your business is driven by fundamental laws, you know, as long as you execute well, right? entrepreneurship is really, Wayne Gretzky put it, you need to know where the puck is going to be. So, but if laws dictate where the pucks are going to be, that problem is solved. Now it's about just executing. So I think Intel really taught me that, to really rely on foundational principles to predict where the puck will be and build technologies towards it. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing your experience, Siva. So here's a big uh, question. What's the future of fintech? Where do you see fintech going in five to 10 years? I think the democratizing of access to information and transactions, so there is no disparate wealth creation, is really where fintech is going to go. And I don't necessarily mean fintech as fintech companies. I mean finance companies that do banking today, credit unions, community banks, big banks, in combination with technology, whether it's built by companies like us or it's built within the financial institution, will really create a level of access that will eliminate all of the lack of a better word, the middlemen that really paid I mean, it's all on both sides of the equation, right? I think that will fundamentally go away, which will lower the friction, will make the overall system a lot better and more efficient, more competition. Oh, I'm going to leave money with my big bank. I know I'm losing interest because the interest rates are much lower, right? I mean, $600 billion of interest income being lost in 10 years, that's a lot of money when 60% uh -huh. of us live, live paycheck to paycheck. So I think the, the future of FinTech is really give the control back to the consumer. Well, you, you heard it here first. That's where the puck is going to be, right? 
I hope so. We're, we're, we're counting on it. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll get that before the game is over. Final important question. Our podcast yeah. is about people who dare to dream. What do you dare to dream, Siva? What future do you dare to imagine you are creating? I can tell you what I dream about. I don't know whether this is, this is to do with uh, what I do for my work. I think the, the from a work perspective, it's really about democratizing access, and I would love to see that reality. For me personally, I would expect pretty much everything that I do to be AI agents that can do it for me in the next decade, so I can just grow my vegetables and fruits and eat it. So I can go back to sort of the, what humans used to do which is worry about food and not about anything else. Uh, well, thank you for sharing all of your uh, insights today. And thank you for uh, telling us more about Typhoon. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it, Ned and uh, Priscilla. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Siva. Thank you, Ned. Thanks to our guests today for their great insights on D.A.R.E., the podcast for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders. If you'd like your story to be featured on D.A.R.E., just contact us at info at darwaft.com. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaft, the tech team that can make your vision a reality.